Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour, episode 93. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are recording after a bit of a grim Blue Jays loss to the Detroit Tigers. They were unable to close out the sweep. Really, uh, you know, the biggest thing that happened in this game was a historic chant of turtleneck that is was the first, <laughs> and I'm going to assume the last that we'll ever hear at Rogers Center. Uh, you know, it doesn't get much more wholesome than that as far as trying to psych out your opponent goes. Uh, you know, it is a, it is a, it was a silly turtleneck to be fair. So maybe sure. uh, maybe the closer was self conscious about it. Didn't seem to factor into the result. There's not a lot to go on for this game, and you know, this is a weekly podcast. We're not going to zero in on on the most recent game too hard. But I do think it's worth talking about Chris Bassett a little bit because he his first couple outings were pretty discouraging to be honest. And to to my eye, he looked a lot better in this one. I know that the Tigers can make most starters look pretty good. Like that is about as bad as a lineup gets at the major league level. Uh, and Bassett's performance tonight was not perfect. But the velo was up a little bit. Um, you know, I, I liked the action on his sinker today. He was really bringing it front door against the left-handed hitters. And, you know, some of his pit, the curveball wasn't great at times, but I thought that this is, you know, this is the best we've seen of Chris Bassett, even if that doesn't mean too much at this point. No, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think there, you know, there were a couple of breaks, uh, have your bias providing uh, for a couple of those, uh, which was pretty funny earlier in the game. Uh, not if you're a Tigers fan, I'm sure, but uh, uh, that's, but I think that, you know, that did help him, but uh, overall, yeah, I think Bassett can be pleased that he took a step in the right direction. I think, uh, you know, Buck mentioned on the the Sportsnet broadcast. Um, you know, he doesn't have to have all of his pitches working. He throws so many, so if you know he's got three or four pitches working really well, good feel for the command. Um, that's going to allow him to be effective, and that seemed to be sort of what it was. Like you say, the curveball was maybe not perfect today, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think you have to definitely feel good. I don't know that that's like I don't know if you can do that every time out. You're probably feeling pretty good about that contract. He's just sort of that stabilizing force in the rotation, and and again, like it wasn't a not a perfect day, but uh, uh, that's that's good enough, and is enough, I think, to uh, put away some of the concerns. And I think just you know getting comfortable, which is another thing that they mentioned on the broadcast, and getting comfortable with pitch calm. You know, he's doing it off his belt this time, and and you know there there's a steeper learning curve there, I think, for him because of all the pitches he throws, and and you know because there's that degree of difficulty as we talked about before with the. Uh, with the pitch clock being new. Yeah, and there was a lot of talk earlier before the season about him getting caught specifically by Jansen, more of a veteran catcher who'd be better equipped to deal with his whole repertoire. I thought Kirk looked fine behind the plate tonight. The The umpiring in this game was, let's just call it bizarre. Uh, that Not worked deal. for him and against him at times. I don't think it had a big impact on sort of the final start for him. But yeah, you know, this is the quote-unquote quality start. Uh, it's that in a literal sense. It's that in a figurative sense. And, you know, the velocity bounce back is really the biggest thing, right? Like the sure. four-seam fastball, 93.4 average on that. The sinker was up to 92. You know, those aren't massive numbers, but they never are going to be with him. And so we talked before how there was a little bit of a history last year of him having some early velocity wobbles. And, you know, it's not necessarily safe to say, oh, well, it's going to be smooth sailing from here because he had a bit of a weird spring training because of his age, et cetera. But yeah, I don't know. Just looking at the stuff, right? Like it's, it's easier to evaluate pitchers kind of regardless of competition. Like sure. Did Tigers hitters swing through or foul off some hittable pitches today? Definitely. But you just, you know, watching the movement on his stuff, watching the velocity increase, 
the Blue Jays can feel a little bit better, which is good because the bottom two in their rotation right now is not a pair of t- pitchers that they can feel <laughs> particularly great about. So uh, he's kind of the fulcrum of this rotation. This is what happened with Ross Stripling last year, right? Like the third guy in the rotation made a big difference because the Blue Jays were able to feel good about you know 60% of their outings as opposed to feeling like they're in a hole more than half the time. Yeah, no, I, I think absolutely. I mean, we'll we'll see where it goes. The, you know, we can t- we can talk about. I don't know if it's on your list about Barrios or Kikuchi, which uh, you know, yeah, a scary prospect, especially with the stupidly hot Rays coming into town. Um, but uh, you know, every every start's a chance for progress, and we did see that with Bassett. So you know, maybe maybe it'll happen with one of those guys as well. On the note of the rotation, though, uh, a little bit of a dicey note is what Alc Manoa has been up to lately. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but we had another rough outing from him, and it's just odd. You know, two out of three starts going less than five innings. He didn't do that in all of last season. Uh, as many walks as strikeouts right now, small sample, but, you know, he's never done that before, even over a three-start span. The velocity really down over the last two starts. Uh, I've kind of trained myself not to overreact to Manoa's velocity movements because he does seem to have more volatility there than a lot of pitchers do. At the same time, you know, this is lower than we've seen before, and it's, you know, it's two starts in a row. He's only one outing from us saying, you know what, that was kind of silly to worry about it. But right now, there has to be, you know, some level of concern for a guy that entered the season, you know, kind of assuming that he would be uh, top of the rotation, no problem. Jays have a great chance to win every time he goes out. And I'm not saying he's not that guy, but for a guy we had basically no worries about entering the year in just three outings, there's reason to have a little bit of concern. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, the one that, that that I'm looking at right now, which is because that's the place I go to when Alec Manoa struggles, is uh, the splits against left-handers. And, and uh, he's faced 38, he's allowed seven hits, but the, the slash line is 233, 395, 433. Uh, a lot of walks, seven walks, hit by pitch, against, just against lefties. Um and that's got to be better. Like that's uh, they're going to throw a lot of lefties at him. The split is is not you know his best, um, but like you say, you know, we're one start away from not not having to think about this at all. Uh, but that's that's the spot where it felt like in years past, even though the numbers aren't as out of whack as they are right now, uh, could be a thing. And then though though maybe uh, you know he was so good against right-handed hitters last year. But uh, maybe that's where we should be spending our time talking about because that's that's not gone as well as it could have either. So the samples are so small, obviously that um, that what you know there's not much to conclude here. But yeah, three three fifty five on base against right-handers is uh, is like a hundred and fifty or more two hundred points higher than he was last year. Yeah, and he, you know realistically, he probably wasn't going to recreate what he did last year. Uh, just because it was so good, not because you know he lacks talent or anything like that. But like you said, there is a little bit of concern about what he's doing with right-handed hitters right now because the slider just hasn't quite looked the same this year. Like there's just been it's lost velocity, like you know, like his other pitches as well. It's not a surprise. It's down, you know, right around 80 miles per hour. But it has that you know that really good horizontal frisbee action and is just not quite doing as much right now. So a combination of a little loss of velocity and, you know, an inch or two loss of break, like that is a pretty significant difference. And that's part of what makes him so good against right-handed hitters is because he's got this slider that just 
you know, just goes away from their bats and they, they get caught reaching for it. And often that's a soft contact thing. It's not necessarily a strikeout thing, uh, but the result is the same. He gets guys out with it. And I think that has a lot to do with why, you know, against left-handed hitters, he's significantly less effective because he doesn't have that kind of diving slider that you put on a guy's back foot. Like he can do that, but that's not the action that makes that pitch special. So it's a little bit harder for him to figure out solutions against lefties and you know his solution right now is walking all of them which is not a good solution um and it's yeah like if you just look at the quality of the stuff whether it's velocity whether it's movement it's just not as sharp right now that doesn't mean it won't be but until it looks better uh he's you know he's just he's not 2022 Manoa right now that doesn't mean he won't be but he kind of has to show it uh, for us to believe that that's coming back. And, you know, I, I think the odds are that, you know, he won't be 2022 Manoa because some regression was probably coming for him anyway. Uh, the odds are that he's still going to be very, very good and that he'll be kind of the least of their worries. But, I yeah, I just didn't expect us to be talking about this at any point in the season, you know, uh, let alone having sort of two out of three starts that are arguably worse than anything he did last year. Yeah, and, you know, again, it's too early to really be be looking into the stats side of it i think you're right to be you know uh focusing in on the you know the what the stuff looks like but uh a lot of blue on that uh on that baseball savant page in terms of his percentile rankings like expected slugging below the 16th percentile walk rate 14th strikeout rate 22nd expected era above expected weight on base 14th like uh it's all blue everything's blue except his fastball spin and his extension so you know, I don't know only you can only go up from there, I guess. But um, but yeah, if it's if it lingers like this, if this page looks like this in a couple of weeks, which we were talking about Brandon Belt saying similar thing uh, on last week's episode, if it looks now like this back, in a couple maybe. of weeks, Brandon oh, yeah. Belt's all the way back. <laughs> I mean, it has looked less you know terrifying um, of late for Belt, but but yeah, and so so there you go. It could turn around that quickly, and, and you know, Manoa's too good to. To to be this to be this bad and bad's kind of even you know it's not we're not it's not necessarily Vlad I mean, in twenty twenty three but it's, like, it's, it's not it's been great yeah. pretty bad the same number of walks as <laughs> strikeouts expected ERA of seven ninety eight like that's pretty bad you know this is I'll you know, take that sure. early in the season I'm often looking for like is this something this guy has ever done before whether it's good or whether it's bad because that feels like it's more likely to tell me something and this is sort of worse than he's ever been before that doesn't mean that he's stuck in this hole forever but yeah you know i again we're just gonna have to see where the quality of the stuff is because it could just be a mechanical tweak away it could just be i don't know some kind of strength building exercise that didn't time itself quite right uh i'm not ready to panic about manoa i don't think anyone is or should be um but at the same time Again, like if we're talking about this next week, that's interesting. That's uh, that's really something. If it's you know five starts, that's a that's a decent chunk of your season. Is five starts as much as uh, it feels really early here? You know, that's a sixth of sure. your season. Uh, on Brandon Belt, just before we move on, he did not uh, succeed in my challenge of bring the strikeout rate under fifty percent in the next week. So uh, we're still in worried territory. Fifty one point seven percent right now. But a couple of good games. A couple of good games deserve some credit. Nice hit uh, on Thursday. Just put the night. bat on the ball, yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> looked, totally looked more like an MLB player, that's for sure. To to turn it uh, back to a little bit of positivity, we're just going to seesaw this, I guess. Matt Chapman, 
again, we talked about it last week, but he, you know, it keeps getting better and better. You know, he's at the top of the war leaderboard, at least for fan graphs as of recording. That could change if someone had a huge, huge outing overnight. You know, these things don't matter until Mike Trout's at the top, as they always say. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's so hot right now. Like, what he's doing is so ridiculously good. I know that he missed Thursday's game with an illness. It's fair to assume that's minor. You know, he was spotted in the dugout. Um, we're probably going to see him back, you know, that seemed to affect Jansen and maybe affect his production. So maybe when Chapman comes back the next couple games, he won't necessarily be himself. Uh, hopefully not for his sake, but this is one of those cases, you know, we talked about small samples with Manoa. Is it worse than what he's ever done? Okay. It is worse. Now we've got to take notice. Well, the flip side of this is this is better than Chapman's ever been over a similar amount of time. So I do think we need to take notice and say, yeah, it's a heater. Yes, you know, if you look at the BABIP, it's BABIP, it's insane. Uh, it's closing in on 600. You know, he's not, no one is that guy. It's a lot of doubles. Doubles can be variable. You know, they're easily turned into fly ball outs. At the same time, you know, like leading the majors and average exit velocity, just smashing everything. Expected numbers that are really basically in line with his real numbers. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, this is telling us something in terms of the kind of year Matt Chapman's going to have. Yeah, I, I I think so. I hope so. Uh, I I think is it two hundred plate appearances where strikeout rate that tends to to uh, well, normalize or whatever. Less than that, but... Is it less than that? Because he's only had fifty two plate appearances so far. But uh, but you know the strikeout rate of nineteen point two percent is best. You know the the best he's he's had if the season ended today, and is you know in the territory of those years where he looked like a, a an actual MVP candidate in twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, and it's gone that's been part of his problem in the previous years, you know, it's gone up. Um, so yeah, if he can continue doing that, that that's, uh, that's a really special player. It's, uh, you know, and which is just plainly evident, you know, when you see him on the field. Yeah. Fan graphs, uh, you mentioned the stabilization point. This is not an exact science by any means, but fan graphs puts that at 60 plate appearances for strikeout, yeah. right? And he's almost there, you well, know, well, well. Uh, he's, He's almost there. He's closing in on that. I will say it's worth noting because I wrote on Chapman um, on thir- came out on Thursday at Sportsnet that he has had some of these periods of low strikeout rate before of a similar length. So I'm less inclined to sort of jump in and say, okay, this is 100% the new guy. But the contact quality is just insane to me. Uh, I wouldn't describe myself as a mechanics guru by any means, especially when it comes to hitters. But uh, Esteban Rivera at uh, Fangraphs had an interesting piece where he just had four hitters whose um, whose mechanics have adjusted and that interest him in some way, and he talked about Chapman and how he had this leg kick before, not a you know not Jose Bautista super exaggerated leg kick, but but a leg kick that we saw last season, and now he's going to more of a a subtle toe tap, and it's keeping him it's keeping him in contact with the ground longer and making him pull off the ball less. Um, and again, pulling the ball in an extreme way and kind of rotating. We saw what that did for Bautista. We saw that, what that did for Danny Bats at times in the last couple of years. That can be a good strategy too, but it seems like he's staying on the ball a little bit more. You know, a lot of his extra base hits this year are to center and right field, which is not what we mm-hmm. saw last season. Um, again, like I, I don't want to overemphasize that point because I wouldn't consider myself an expert in that area, but it is an interesting thing um, that has been identified with him and that's something I'll be watching too. Like whether he continues to use the whole field, cause he's always been a bit of a low BABIP guy. And if he can use the whole field a little bit better, 
uh, you know, as we see with Bobachet, right? It just makes him harder to defend and more of those balls in play go for hits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's bottom bottom ten in terms of soft contact. Uh, hard hit rate is the, the tops in baseball. It, it has been, and like we said last week, it, you know, he can strike the ball very hard. It's happened all the time in his career, but uh, to do it so consistently and so well is uh, is definitely worth taking notice. And that piece was good. Yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah, of fun. guys who absolutely, oh, I thought you were going to say mine. No, not no, yours. No. No. Okay, uh, <laughs> obviously read Nick's piece as well. Thinking yeah, about, I was going to say, talk about guys who absolutely scorched the ball. Kevin Kiermeyer uh, has become, you know, he's, I kind of figured coming to the year, we've already seen what happened with Kevin Pillar, and he just is basically, you know, Kevin Pillar, but who played for the Rays for a long time, uh, you know, arguably a better version. But it mm-hmm. seems like he really has captured people's imaginations. After there was not much enthusiasm about him coming into the year, uh, which is fair because of his recent production, especially offensively. But it seems like it has not taken long for Blue Jays fans to glom on to Kev, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer. He robbed the home run. He was pretty close to robbing another home run, actually, a couple of days yeah. later. Uh, he's got off to a better offensive start than expected. That bunt, for people who, who really like a good bunt, you know, uh, I wouldn't call it a game-winning bunt necessarily on Wednesday night, but uh, it helped them when they only needed the single run and extra innings. Uh, I'm sure fans of small ball were really into that. Drew the third baseman down. And he just seems like the kind of guy that he gives an earnest quote, I'll say. Not necessarily like a super entertaining quote, but uh, the kind of quote where people think, oh, this guy cares about the team and he cares about winning. And people tend to like that too. Before the season, we talked about potential folk heroes. And I'm not sure how deep we got in with Kiermaier, but... It kind of seems to me like he's uh, he's not far from getting there as long as he doesn't hit a huge slump in the near future, which is always on the table with him. Yeah, well, I, and that's exactly the thing. And this is, you know, I think I called uh, Belt a potential folk hero, which uh, might need a little more but time. Didn't he get booed on the home opener? <laughs> that might be the opposite of a folk yeah. hero if they boo you in the home opener. <laughs> wow. We booed on the turtle next. Uh, at this point, so he's safe. He's safe for a bit with those hits, but yeah, I, I think uh, uh, maybe we overlooked Kiermaier in in that sense because yeah, he's very media friendly and like you say, not an entertaining quote necessarily. Um, but you can just feel like he's a guy where you know the reporters and the TV people are are happy to stick a microphone in his face and they'll give him he'll give them something. Um, but yeah, it's like the you know once he hits that trough that takes the weight of runs created plus down to where it's probably going to be which is like 90 there there will be some uh uh some wavering in the folk hero myth i suspect but the bunt the dribbler that he turned into a double that kind of stuff that those are kind of ways that he's able to uh to be more valuable than the the uh than the offensive production you know the the straight up park and league adjusted number may May suggest, even though that's you know our best sort of tool for doing that, and and it, it can you know he can get on. He said he just wanted to hit singles. You know, get him on base. Then he's a it's a, he's tough on the bases. He's they always have to pay attention to him. The defense is there. Um, I'm still not like, and I wrote about this last week. Like, but it's not a I'm not having a may a culpa here yet because we'll see how this goes. But uh, but yeah, pleasantly pleasantly and well, mildly surprised. Uh, that it's gone so well and that people have taken to him so well. Yeah, I mean, I think the kind of stretch that he's having to start the season is just sort of the good version of what he does. Like, at any, during any season, he'll have 10 games like this where he hits 350 with not much power, 
you know, he doesn't have a single walk this season, right? Like, and he struck out at a respectable rate. Uh, you know, he's got the one home run, but it's not like he's doing anything that is un-Kevin Kiermaier-like. He's just having a pretty good stretch here. And I'm not saying that that to take it away from him. It's just like we talked about with Chapman, right? Like, he's doing something different, potentially. Maybe my expectations of him are going to change. And, you know, for Chapman, even his projections have changed, right? Like, his Zips projection, I think it had him at a 127 WRC plus before the season, and now it's like 137. Like, there's a meaningful difference that that amount of production changes what you think. Whereas with Kiermaier, like I'm looking at his projection right now, from here on out, they're saying 92 WRC+. And that's basically the you know the guy he's been because nothing he's done so far makes you think he's a different guy. It's just like, oh, here's a reminder of what him doing a good job looks like. And he's done a good job and he deserves credit for that. But yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't be uh, writing up your mea culpa just yet. I think you can you can leave that one for now because <laughs> we'll see what happens when, you know, his BABIP isn't 444, uh, which is going to happen at a certain point. And again, that's not to take anything away from him. He's been great. You know, him on this Thursday night game, like he's, he's putting his helmet on like way before he needs to be ready. He's kind of doing high steps in the dugout. Like he's got that... You know, if people are talking about the winning attitude or whatever, all the bullshit that people are talking about in terms of the different vibe on the team, and now they take things seriously and all that jazz, um, which will be a storyline that we'll probably discuss too much if they do really, really well here. But he, you know, he encapsulates that. Yeah, he does. And, the, the, you know, this is something that, you know, I agree. I'm, I'm more on team bullshit as well, but it'll definitely definitely something that the blue jays the front office takes seriously you know and i've referenced this a number of times since i but but like doing a podcast episode years ago with ross atkins and talking about the the captain class the about about leadership and they were like it was it it was very evident that him and shapiro and i'm sure lots of other folks there um do think about leadership and do think about what it takes to be a leader and what they're looking for in terms of like the the the, the the alchemy they're trying to do there in terms of uh creating a clubhouse that can that can function well and get on the same page and everything and, and you know you do see that with Kiermaier and I am, like I said tend to to not not put a ton into that more than I probably used to more than I did, definitely more than I used to in the the first days of uh uh you know Fire Joe Morgan and, and Sabermetrics stuff where where you know everything was so out of whack that it was just like like the stop stop lauding guys who suck for like reasons that we can't see um but over the years you know there is i think more to it than uh, than i would have believed at the time yeah and I, my sort of general way of thinking about these things is that if i feel genuinely like the players care about it then i'm willing right. to care about it because that you know if the players care about it 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 affects you know their psychology and their psychology affects their performance and we may never be able to quantify that fully but if the players feel like this is a different atmosphere that's more conducive to their success there's a decent chance there'll be more success and we'll never know how much and which double Bobachet got was because he felt like Kevin Kiermaier was a good role model uh, <laughs> we'll never be able to pin that down but I'm a little bit less likely to be totally dismissive of it um, I'm more dismissive of the fact that it's just going to be talked about endlessly, uh, more so yeah. than the fact that it's not real. You know, you got when you can bring in guys like Brandon Belt who like to crush 11 to 12 chicken tenders after a game and set an example that way. You got to do it, right? So <laughs> I think so. There's more. There's more than one way to lead, in my view. And like, I never thought Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. were bad guys. Um, no, that's a great point. So I again, we we will go down that rabbit hole when it's the right time. 
because right now the Blue Jays, you know, it's early and we don't know where that narrative is going to land. I can just see a world where the Blue Jays take a step forward this season, whether it's slight, like winning a wild card round or something like that. And then that is what people zero in on when, um, you know, they're probably factors that are a little bit more important. But, you know, that, we, we can cross that bridge when we come to it. Sounds good to me. Something we got to get to uh, in this episode is all of the new Rogers Center stuff because we're, it's, I mean, we've seen sort of a drip, drip, drip of various announcements and, you know, weird kind of video renderings and all that stuff. But finally, this thing has been rolled out. So I'll start open-ended. Like, what are your first impressions of the new Rogers Center? Uh, it looks great so far. I mean, I don't know how long, you know, in the games that I do get to, which I haven't actually done yet, um, how long I'll be lingering in those uh, social spaces or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the turtleneck chance and the the fans being right on top of the visiting bullpen, which was like clocked by everyone early on, like, okay, that's going to be fun. Also, probably possibly nightmarish. Um, and we could get to that. But like, I think... I think that's been great. I think if people want to go and you know have the game on in the background and and are doing something else, they're sitting at the bar, they're you know they're playing cornhole, whatever. That might not be for me, but uh, you know sometimes your kids need a break, or sometimes you know the game's boring, or uh, there's lots of reasons to do it. Or sometimes sometimes you're just a tourist in the new building. Like it reminded me a bunch of uh, uh, like I was at Comerica for the first time last year and was and. And there are social spaces there as well, and uh, and the atmosphere was outstanding. And uh, to add a little bit of that to the Rogers Center, where you know, like I'll I'm happily just going to stay parked in my seat the whole time, right? But uh, um, no, it seemed to really add to the atmosphere well, and and I think people are, are seem to be enjoying it, and uh, and the bullpens though in particular, I think uh, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean the bullpen stuff just looks like an issue waiting to happen, right? Like the you know <laughs> yeah. we've got we've already had reports of a beer can landing in the Tigers bullpen. Thankfully, uh, it appears to be that this was some kind of accident of something getting knocked off. But it's really not hard to envision a scenario where a fan chucks one in there. We've seen Blue Jays fans chucking beer cans before as weapons, and this is a the opposing bullpen is easily accessible. I think that it's good that we live in an era where a lot of uh, relievers are fairly anonymous, um, so people don't have vitriol towards them. I think you know, what if Darren O'Day comes through, came through there, uh, right. someone who fans felt something about, and you know, a playoff scenario again. It just, I understand why they thought this was an exciting idea, and I think that ninety-eight point nine 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 percent of the time it's going to seem like a good idea, but it's a long season. You know, playoffs are potentially on the table for this team. It is worrying. It's worrying. And I, I don't think it's worth spending all our time fretting about something that hasn't happened yet. Um, and But I, yeah, it, the, it just doesn't take long for your mind to go to that place. In terms of the bars and stuff, uh, I have to admit that I'm a little bit tired of like the constant promotion of them already. I get it. <laughs> like I, you yeah. know, I, I understand from a business perspective, they're trying to show off what makes the renovation worth doing. They want to encourage people to come out to the park and, you know, it's easy for us. Like, Oh, we're probably tuning into more or less every game. And we're like, here's another promotion for the Corona deck up in the five hundreds. But that's not everyone's experience, right? Like a lot of people are tuning in once in a while and they're hearing about this for the first time and they're not necessarily tuned in on Twitter. So there is like, I, I get all of that. So that, that's just a me thing and an us being sort of like 
super tuned in sickos type of thing. Like that's not, yeah. <laughs> that's nobody's fault. It's just kind of an annoyance. The fact they did a TTC themed one uh, at a bit of, let's say a low point for the TTC. Um, let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> not ideal. Like, you know, I've, I've been a patron of the TTC for a long time. I've often defended it. It's getting harder and harder to defend, but even in the best days of the TTC, and I don't know when that is, I don't have a chart of the TTC's prime, but even at the best moments, it was not something to really be celebrated. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not the London tube. It's not something that uh, there's been a lot of civic pride around. So that struck no. me as pretty odd. <laughs> like there's a lot of available themes out there. Uh, I don't think they need to reach for that necessarily. Um, right. <laughs> I like, you know, I like the Corona one just in terms of the, it just being way up there. I think that's a cool idea. I've always liked a good uh, rooftop bar. So being able to kind of tap into that feeling seems like a good idea to me uh you know the schneider's hot dog deck never gonna understand that as a premise but you know someone spent a lot of money to make that happen yeah. and, the, and the blue jays yeah. just accepted that money so that's kind of where that is look I, we we know about this for anyone who remembers our, our polarized vodka stuff uh, you know yeah the, you know we, we all exist as a business entities in our own way you know in 20 in the 2020s in this like late capitalism we're all brands etc <laughs> Um, but oh, sorry, but I was just gonna say, but yeah, but like, and also just such a better use of that space, the Corona deck, like in particular, like the other ones you can debate, I guess, but uh, certainly looks better on TV. Looks like it's probably a lot nicer uh, to be there in the uh, you know in the park. I haven't sat in the 500 level seats yet. I haven't I haven't heard too much about you know they all got ripped up and hopefully they're they're at least a little bit bigger. I know they're not gonna pull out a ton, but I think that that was a thing. I don't know what percentage by they were. Uh, the seats were increased, but uh, that looked good. The TTC thing, definitely weird. Definitely, definitely uh, after spending years in university and, and an early job where I was on the TTC every day when I first started working at the, at the score, I could just like bike from my house. It was like, it was like angels playing trumpets in my ears all the way down to work the first couple of weeks just to not have to be on the TTC. So yeah, bit of a bit of an odd match there, but also, I don't know. Uh, you gotta you gotta pair that with the uh, the the City Connect jersey that's probably gonna end up being TTC theme or something like that. Oh man, um. I, I really <laughs> hope not. I mean, yeah, Toronto's just a weird place. I say that as a Toronto native who's lived here the vast vast majority of my life, but it's just like there isn't. I don't know if if I did if you did a City Connect Toronto jersey, I'm sure people have mocked it up on Twitter in the past or whatever. But I think part of what makes Toronto great is it's just such a jumble of nonsense that it's kind of hard to. <laughs> Pin one thing. I mean that in a in a absolutely yeah. fantastic way. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's an absolute jum, uh, jumble with no, you know, clear branding. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with that. Probably not TTC. I'd I'd like to believe, but maybe this tells us something different. One thing before we move on from the ballpark that should be discussed as well is the the introduce introduction of kind of stunt food. This has been a ballpark thing you know, all across the States for a long time. And they've had the odd menu item that's a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, but, you know, it it's not the Texas Rangers ballpark, right? Like, it, they haven't no. done it to the extent they do it in the States. And I don't think they're ever going to necessarily get to that level. I hope they do, just to have more, you know, just more fun, more weirdness at the ballpark, uh, less reliance on brutal $1 hot dogs to be kind of your food gimmick. <laughs> Although those are obviously coming back. But the big, you know, the big headline here is the poutine dog. We also have peanut butter and jelly churros, Oreo churros as well, I believe. Uh, is 
any of the stunt stuff interest you? Um, are you just leaving that for the people that that's for, or are you going to be sucked into to a poutine hot dog experience somewhere along the line here? Uh, yeah, it might be a while before I have my first poutine hot dog. I'll, I'll eat those shitty normal ones, though. Those, like, those are crushable. If they have a, if they have the condiments for them, I don't know if that situation has changed, but last year it was a nightmare getting proper condiments. Like, like I, I to... told you last year, bring your own condiments. Bring a good hot sauce. Not rocket science. You can bring anything into the ballpark. True. I mean, how many pockets do I have right. for hot sauce? Yeah, you, Not br- a ton. you bring like a little mini cooler bag. You put some hot sauce in there, some shredded cheese. Uh, you you suffer through one uh, scornful look from a security guard, and then you're through. And you're in the I clear. mean, that does sound like the right way to do it. But uh, but yeah, I mean the the churros. Sure, I mean the ones that don't won't won't you know. Make me stop breathing. I would. I would happily eat those, but uh, uh, that's uh, that's fine. I don't. I have no problem with stunt food. Um, well, I, just not for me. I, but again, I'm probably not going to be spending that much time on the concourse because you know I, it's old hat, right? It's like I've been to that place literally hundreds of times. Uh, the new things, sure, check it out. But uh, I don't know. After a while, I'm just I'm just there to yell at a turtleneck fan. Yeah, I the, I mean the I think the poutine dog for me is something that I would try again. I would try it once. That's the whole point of all these stunt things. That's how they make their money because people are morbidly curious about it. When I think of the flavor profile of uh, and that yeah, you got to get deeper into <laughs> these things. When you think of the flavor profile of a hot dog and gravy combined, like forget the cheese. Cheese is we've done cheese on hot dogs for I was gonna say thousands of years, probably not <laughs> uh, for. For tens of years now, uh, as a society, we've been doing that. Uh, the little chopped up French fries, sure, whatever. I think that that's called, probably going to be a bit of a nothing burger. What concerns me is the combination of gravy and hot dogs, because like a cheap hot dog and cheap gravy are both extremely salty, and putting them together, and also you know, hot dogs are kind of wet. I mean that that might be the wrongest, but you know what I mean. Like it's not a <laughs> normally you, you want gravy on something. You don't fried. want a dried hot dog. Yeah. No. So yeah. you you're putting something gravy on something that isn't dry in the first place and is also salty already. Like there doesn't. I'm not a food chemist, but it doesn't seem like there's a good sound food science argument for this product to exist. And that doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist. But color me heavily skeptical that this would actually be tasty although i believe there was a steve simmons article uh with a headline well, he's on the hot dog beat right india yeah it's something you can trust him for uh i think the headline was that the poutine dog was the star of the home i thought it was kevin kiermeyer personally but uh he <laughs> seemed to indicate the poutine dog was the star of the home opener so i would say take his word for it as opposed to my ad hoc mini deep dive into food chemistry but I, I, my skepticism is there for sure. Um, first, don't take don't take Steve Simmons' word for anything. Is what I would say to that. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like you say, I think uh, once I would absolutely try it. Uh, I have, I'm also skeptical that I would be running back for a second one though, or five uh, like that <laughs> oh, <laughs> woman yeah, who made an unfortunate sucked. pledge to the Jordan, internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, it's very seems funny like, content. Great content. She seems like she escaped via the uh, a good charitable donation, which is a good way to get out of yeah. anything, because uh, no one is going to criticize you for that. 
And I certainly won't criticize her because five home runs is an unfair amount to expect. And uh, that's a tough word to live up to. Anyway, we, uh, now that we are back on sort of a, a Friday schedule, that is the hope. Again, don't want to make promises we can't keep, but this is the goal is to keep having these on Fridays. We're going to try and tee up some of the weekend series that you guys are potentially going to see. And this one feels uh, a little bit bigger than most because the, the Tampa Bay Rays uh, on Friday will be going for the record for most wins, consecutive wins to start a season. And it's not just that these guys are winning games. Like, I believe MLB's expected win-loss, which is kind of just based on run differential, has them at 12 and one, right? Like it's not, they're 13 and right. zero, and like they've been <laughs> quote unquote lucky uh, to the tune of maybe one of those games. And even that feels like a little bit of a stretch. Like the run differential we're talking about here, I believe is 71, uh, which was a pretty damn respectable season long total. Like if they were to just be totally yeah. average from here on out, they would have a great record and they would have a pretty good run differential when you look at this team, uh, what's your level of sort of general fear for the Blue Jays? And do you see, you know, holes to poke in what's happening right now? Because, uh, you know, we haven't seen, obviously, we haven't seen a start like this in a long time. And it's, uh, you know, we talked about the Matt Chapman start, like even a small number of games, if they're good enough, can tell you a lot. And it seems like we're learning a fair amount about these Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, and I, I think it's a similar shape to what uh, the Rays have uh, have always kind of done, but obviously this is uh, uh, another level. It's just what is concerning and scary is that you know they they got a lot of talent on the on the IL as well at this point. Um, so I you know I don't know when all those guys are coming back. Uh, your uh, springs and your uh, class knows and whatever, but. Uh, and there's, I think there's more too, but, Eflin but um, as well. yeah, Heflin just went like, and then they just still keep rolling, which is uh, <sighs> uh, like I'm not, I'm you know, inter- bigger picture, I'm not really super afraid that the Rays are this unstoppable monster, but you do hate seeing them bank wins like this early on. Like you're, you know, that just increases the climb that that you know the Blue Jays would have to make to take the division, which, uh, as we learned last year, pretty important. Uh, you, you probably don't want to be in the wild card series. So, um, so yeah, I, I, it, it's a concern, and uh, these are three big games, and you know, but also <laughs> then they go to Houston and, and the Bronx, so it's not like you know the games are all kind of important at this point. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. It should be good, and it's I, I think you know. Uh, it should be a nice showcase too for the new ballpark. It should be you know a, lot, a series that a lot of people across the league are going to be talking about because who's going to stop the Rays and uh, the, the Jays better get one of those wins at least. Well, I mean, you know, the starting matchups don't make that particularly easy. No, uh, you know, got Barrios and Kikuchi and Manoa going right, and like all three of those guys are struggling. And uh, this is a Rays lineup that's been absolutely ridiculous. You know, Wander Franco is a guy who, you know, he looks like he's taking that step forward as a superstar. Yandy Diaz uh, is lifting the ball a little bit, which has always been like the one thing missing with this guy where everything else from his play discipline to his exit velocity is fantastic. You know, Brandon Lau, really, really good low Lau. I forget which one is which. Uh, All the time, really good power numbers. Yeah, I... It's I know I've heard some people be a little bit dismissive of what this team has done just because they've beaten up on poor competition, but 
you know, there's a difference between winning games and winning every game and dominating games, right? Like we just saw, you know, the Blue Jays are a good team. I think it's fair to say the Toronto Blue Jays are a good team in 2023. We just saw what the Detroit Tigers, you know, came through town and, uh, the Jays didn't exactly pummel them, you know, like they, what there's a good argument you made. They should have lost that second game there. Uh, and the Rays have just put a hurting on everyone. The pitching is as good as ever in terms of, you know, just they roll all these guys out of the bullpen. A lot of these guys have actually been injured in recent years and they're back. Like this bullpen's really good. The starters are really good. Like I think if you're going to point to one thing, you know, is there a quote-unquote weakness here? I'm not super scared of kind of five through nine in their lineup. I know that that group of players has performed at a very high level so far this season. But if you look at their track records, most of them are maybe kind of average hitters historically, uh, if not a little bit worse. And, you know, maybe a couple of them are breakout guys this year, but I'm not ready to say that yet. So when I envision kind of the whole course of the season, I don't see the Rays as this offense that just hits an unbelievable amount of home runs and is impossible to keep up with. Just, you know, and and I know the Rays have often transcended the names on the paper, but the names on the paper, at least kind of as lineup depth goes, are they don't move me as much as maybe the early projection suggests. Man, though, this is even this team is really good and they are absolutely rolling and the Jays uh pitching has to be a little bit of a concern entering this series. Um yeah, I don't know what a fair expectation is. I think you probably start your expectation at winning one and you hope that the team can do better than that because uh, just the way the starters are lined up right now, it's hard to feel like you'd, if you're the Jays, you'd love to see Gosman in this series and, uh, he could be missed here. Uh, I don't want to sound too down on it. You know, the Jays could also sweep them. Baseball is, is weird, but, uh, this is, like I said, it's one of the best starts we've ever seen from a team <laughs> and it's fully earned. So, um, it is, it is going to be potentially, we did not see really good baseball in the Jays tiger series on both sides to be honest like there was some sloppiness all over the place uh if you're a fan of the concept of good baseball writ large uh you got a pretty good chance of seeing some here i uh, yeah i think that's that's very true hopefully the jays can uh hold up their end of the deal i think you're right about the five to nine hitters but uh yeah they just they they do they do a lot of good things a lot of little things well it's kind of the stuff that we've been hearing perhaps a little too much about uh with the jays this year um, and I also I wonder that you know some of the some of the things some of the reasons why those names don't move people I mean you know Brandon Lau probably doesn't really move a lot of people who aren't paying attention as closely as as say you are uh, is that is that exact thing right It's like that they they just don't because like it's easier to be anonymous in uh, in Tampa at this point than it is in a lot of other places I think um, so yeah I think there's breakout candidates for sure but also ultimately you know I. You know, Whatever, whatever they're projected to do is more realistic to me than whatever they have just been doing against those bad teams. But I don't, I don't want to be dismissive, like you say, because I don't think, uh, I don't think they deserve that. I think they, you know, obviously uh, pitched and hit and played defense really, really well, uh, and it's a bit scary. I also think Barrios, you know, Barrios has a good start in him, and it's, I wrote about this uh, the other day, like uh, as as easy as it is to feel right now that. And like maybe I'll eat my words, it's, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on what I'm about to say. But it's like it's easy to feel like guaranteed he's getting blown up every time he takes the ball. That's kind of been what's happened since the World Baseball Classic. 
Well, if you look at last year, like the, he put it, he like he was terrible. Obviously, not saying he's not terrible, but but there were many many games more than not where he gave them the chance to win. Which you know, when you're stuck with the guy who you know is you're trying to figure out a way to get him to command his fastball, basically. I thought I'm like Petriello to tangent off that. Uh, MLB.com he posted uh, you know just the, the the heat map or the the, the pitch locations of his of his. Uh, the slurve versus the fastballs. And it's like the slurve was just was painting the outside, you know, the, 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 the bottom part and the outside part of the zone. Um, he could do, he could do that. He's good. But uh, you know what? We all know what the problems are, but I, but I just, I, well, I, all I'm saying is many times he gave them a chance to win. Many times he did all right last year. So uh, not out of the realm of possibility that he could just come in and have a nice start, make a step in the right direction. And, uh, and then we'll go. We'll see from there. And you know, Kikuchi, same same thing. Only maybe slightly more confidence right now, um, but worse track record in terms of 2022. Yeah, and then, you know, Barrios even this year has had a couple moments, and we don't have to dive too deep into you know the positives because there's clearly more negatives than positives with a guy with an ERA of 11.17. But you know, FIP of 320. Like he's he's missed more bats than he did last year and that was a big part of his problem last year was an inability to miss bats it wasn't just the hard contact so he seems to have reeled that back into some extent early on uh, and he's not giving away free passes so there have been some positives like you said it is no sure thing that Barrios is going to give you a brutal outing we will see what happens over the weekend we will be back with another episode next week episode 94 coming to you on Friday we appreciate all of you tuning in and uh, we like you to subscribe and rate it and uh, leave reviews on how we've been doing and all that jazz that helps us out. We'll, We'll talk to you next week.